You're listening to the Hindu Business Lines Field Notes podcast with TR Vivek. Hello and welcome to another episode of Field Notes, the weekly podcast from the Hindu Business Line on all things agribusiness. I'm your host TR Vivek. A few days ago, I was in conversation with Mr. T Vijay Kumar, the Special Chief Secretary to Andhra Pradesh government on natural farming as part of Bangalore-based Nudge Foundation's annual event on rural affairs called Charcha. Vijay Kumar joined the IAS in 1983. In his 37 years of government service, he has spent about 25 in large-scale community mobilization projects and promotion of livelihoods of rural women, tribal communities and farmers. In his current role, he is leading the Andhra government's efforts to turn almost all 80 lakh hectares of the state's agricultural land and nearly 80 lakh farmers to chemical-free natural farming by 2027. The AP government claims that this is one of the world's largest agroecological projects natural farming is not very different from zero budget natural farming evangelized by the agri activist and padma shri awardee subhash palekar this method of farming shuns chemical inputs and relies on natural inputs made by farmers themselves primarily using cow dung urine gram flour and a few other readily available plant products natural farming is getting plenty of policy attention finance minister nirmala sitaraman had spoken of the need to promote this in her budget speeches the proponents of natural farming posit this as the best and perhaps the only way to mitigate climate crisis and dechemicalize our food systems critics say natural farming's benefits are anecdotal and haven't been subjected to scientific scrutiny for it to become an instrument of state policy in this episode of field notes you will first hear a presentation by mr vijay kumar on andhra's natural farming project and it will be followed by my conversation with him do listen so good evening everyone i am sharing with you the kind of work that is happening in andhra pradesh and why is it that we are doing this the vision in andhra pradesh is that we have around 80 lakh farmers and farm workers so our vision is by 2031 they all should transform to climate resilient uh, agriculture and so the rest of the presentation is why it's so important i think all of you are familiar that you know we are having multiple crises and they are all interrelated so you have farmers distress on account of ever increasing costs of cultivation riskiness of agriculture the problems with the weather event extreme weather events that's one part and it's going to increase in future as the ipcc warns us and at the same time you also have a crisis from the consumer side one is food scarcity there's a lot of hunger in our country but the food that you're eating is also not safe the chemical residues in the food and the lack of nutrients micronutrients trace minerals is another crisis and you have certain things which should not be there there is heavy metal contamination in food so there are a series of issues around the food that we are eating and the third set of crises is the most important one is we are losing soil continuously there is huge water stress and biodiversity is decreasing water and air pollution are increasing so you have this multiple crises which are going to get exacerbated and uh, which are already exacerbated and ipcc latest report six working group report has already sounded code red for humanity 
I think all of you are aware of the statements made and they also said that some changes cannot be reversed anymore for at least next thousand years. And then you have this factor that in the greenhouse gas emissions, one third come from agriculture. There are some people who say that this could be higher if you take into account entire food system, including food wastage. So estimates vary from 45 to 50 percent. So you have a very ironical situation where our food system is affected by climate change and our food system itself is one of the biggest causes of climate change. How is agriculture and land management causing climate change? Ever since agriculture started, we've been losing topsoil. But this has accelerated over the last 100, 150 years. So we've been losing soil on account of deforestation, forest fires, ploughing, keeping lands fallow, overgrazing, excess irrigation, wind and water erosion. And over the last 70 years, the role of biocides has accelerated, exacerbated the crisis. So this is the irony. The agriculture, the food system is the biggest factors causing climate change and also the biggest victims of climate change. Farmers are the biggest victims of climate change. So is there a solution? We believe that there is a solution and the solution is to learn from nature. How do you mimic nature and get ourselves out of this crisis? Farming in harmony with nature for people and for the planet. It is this which drives our work in Andhra Pradesh. And natural farming is basically a holistic land management practice that leverages the power of photosynthesis in plants to close the carbon cycle, build soil health, crop resilience, and nutrient density. And this is very, very important to understand because this is how Mother Nature has built soil over the last 420 million years. So it is for us to enable the farmers of the world to create conditions which are in harmony with nature so that we can reverse this impending apocalypse, I would call it. Now, how does it happen? It's basically carbon cycling. So CO2 through photosynthesis gets converted as carbohydrates. So it's the leaf which manufactures the sugars. It's also called the liquid carbon pathway. 40% of this food is used for the shoot system. 30% is stored in the roots and 30% of the food manufactured is actually pushed into the soil as root exudates. So plants are pushing 30% of food they make into the soil as root exudates. And why are they doing it? Why are they giving up so much food? That's because nature has created a very symbiotic relationship. The root exudates are the food for the bacteria, the fungi, the archaea and all other populations which live off these. And the microbial population in turn provides the plants the nutrients that each plant requires. Plants require 20, 30, 40 nutrients, some of them in very trace quantities. And if you have a rich soil microbiology, microbial population, microbiome, then the plants can get adequate quantities of this nutrition. So this is something not created by man. It's something which has been in nature and which we have disturbed very violently over these years. So in natural farming, we are saying, let us mimic nature and nature knows best. And let's see what we can do by reversing this, by following agriculture in harmony with nature. So what does it do? First and foremost, it ensures that more carbon remains in the soil, soil carbon sequestration. This has multiple implications. 
one additional gram of carbon means you can store eight additional grams of water. It ranges from four to 20 grams, depending on the situation. But on an average, one additional gram carbon means you can store additional eight grams of water. The nutrient absorption mechanism, because the food that we are eating currently, because of this industrial agriculture, doesn't have many of the nutrients that are required. But if you have soil which is rich in biology, you can get all the nutrients that are required by the plant as per its DNA. So the nutrient absorption mechanism mediated by the microbes ensures very rich nutrient dense food. Then the fungal hyphae and the bacteria together create a very good soil structure and the soil then becomes porous. Good quality soil should have anywhere 50 to 60 percent air. If we don't disturb this, if we allow this to happen as per the laws of nature, then you have really rich dividends and farmers don't have to do much work. Now, in accordance with this, we have designed some principles of natural farming. The practices, of course, are context specific. The principles are universal. They're applicable anywhere in India, outside India, in any continent, of course, on planet Earth. So first principle is keeping the soil covered with uh, living crops 365 days of the year. This is the most important principle. And then this should be diverse crops. And having trees, again, is a very good requirement to build soil fertility very quickly. And then you should not disturb the soils because the microbial population then gets disturbed. The entire energy goes back to putting it back in order. Then integrating animals into farming because cow dung, cow urine, animal dung plays a very important role in triggering the soil biology. Then you have biostimulants as necessary catalysts because the soil biology is so depressed. So you need to catalyze this and then covering the soil with organic residues. It could be mostly crop residue, mulch, whatever leaves are shed or when you harvest the crop, ensure about one third of the crop put back on the soil to cover it. And then preferentially, we prefer using indigenous seed and then pest management through better agronomic practices including botanical extracts. We have a code red, no synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, weedicides. So these nine principles are universal principles, but then the practices are very different. And in India, our unique strength is the role of biostimulants, which ensure that the transition process in India is very smooth. It doesn't require many years for this conversion to happen. In the first year itself, the farmers can see the benefits. And then following this pathway, we had one remarkable breakthrough, which I will explain later, that by creating a rich soil biology, we have a phenomenon. We are able to harness water vapor from the air for irrigation. We call it the pre-monsoon dry sowing. I'll explain that later. So this is one which we recommend to farmers, either with the main crop, before the main crop, after the main crop. 10, 12, 15, 20. So it's really up to the farmers to see different functional groups are covered. If you maximize the photosynthesis over the land surface on the soil, then you are creating very rich soil. It is as simple as that. Then this is microbial seed coating, Bijamruta. I mentioned biostimulants. So one of the biostimulants is for how do you do seed coating? So it's Bijamruta from cow dung, cow urine, lime handful of chemical free soil fermented for about 12 hours so seedlings are also dipped into it before planting then you have another biostimulant which is to 
it's like a soil amendment called ganajiva amruta again cow dung jaggery cow urine handful of uncontaminated soil fermented so there is a liquid formulation which is used once a week once in 10 days once in 15 days depending on soil condition the crop conditions these are all practices which are location specific and which we keep experimenting and seeing how to improve them pest management again through good agronomical practices mechanically trapping the insects etc and the other is botanical extracts more than 200 formulations of this botanical extracts are there then role of indigenous seeds we are you know we just started this we have a long way to go but we feel that preservation of indigenous seed and their utilization through natural farming contributes a lot to health of the soil and our own health so these are the various principles that were there and the practices that we are using in andhra pradesh basically in natural farming our core assumption is that the soil and air have all the nutrients required for the next thousands of years the gap is the bioavailability of these nutrients making these nutrients available to the plant when it requires and the quantities in which it is required so that requires activation of soil biology and that is why these various principles of natural farming are so critical so there is absolutely no need to add any external synthetic fertilizer that is the most important principle that there is enough within the soil and above the air now how has the program done we started this formally in the year 2016 and in 5 years we were able to take the program from 40000 farmers to 750000 farmers and from 2019 we started including the landless farm workers also as a very important constituency whose livelihoods have to be protected we are present in 28% villages of the state and 10% farmers now it's not as if all these farmers have become completely organic farmers they are on a transition pathway about 25% of them have completely got rid of fertilizers pesticides herbicides etc the remaining are partial farmers so our idea is how do we help them transition and it's not an easy thing i'll explain later on so current year we have a very ambitious target we want to cover about 15% farmers and farm workers and we are the world's largest agroecological initiative in terms of number of farmers the funding here is essentially government funding government of andhra pradesh has taken a loan of 90 million euros from kfw bank so about 1800 odd crores are committed for this program up to 2024 of course as time passes we'll get commitments for the remaining farmers and we've been supported by azim premji philanthropy to a tune of 100 crores and that's an extraordinary commitment made by a philanthropy even before any results were visible on ground and that is something we are very grateful to them for this support it's like a leap of faith so this is the where we are and what kind of results have we got first and foremost the fact that the number of farmers has increased 18 times in 5 years itself is a great indicator of how the farmers have embraced this but we also have other uh, uh, you know objective factors so we do independent assessments for the socio economic impacts of our work so the center for economics and social studies ses hyderabad and then ids andhra pradesh have been doing this they have completed five seasons and the assessments are 
perhaps the largest in the world. It's about 1,000 cases, 1,000 sets of farmers in each season. What do the results show? They show that there's very significant reduction in cost of cultivation. The yield differences are not significant. And thereby, there is very significant increase in net income of farmers practicing natural farming. And in addition, there are qualitative differences. We are awaiting the Rabi report for 2020-21. We have a focus on the landless poor. So we start with a homestead nutrition strategy for them. And the idea is that each household, even if they don't have land, should have nutritious food. So anywhere between 12, 15, 20 vegetables and fruits are cultivated in the homestead lands. And this we have decided to universalize for everyone. But with a special focus on the landless farm workers, there's a tremendous improvement in biodiversity. And this is something, you know, which is always a wonder to me that if you don't harm nature, the way restoration happens, it happens very quickly. We see tremendous increase in resilience. So you have resilience, you have biodiversity coming back, you have higher yields, lesser costs, greater net incomes. So the question comes, how do we scale it up? Why is scaling up not happening? One estimate is worldwide. There are only 0.5% certified organic farmers worldwide. And even if you assume 10 times that number are not certified, so it's only about 5%. So that is the big dilemma. And how is it that in Andhra Pradesh, we've been able to scale up? So we have analyzed some of these factors, critical factors, and all these innovations have come together in Andhra Pradesh. The government support and advocacy, providing resources for this kind of a initiative, even though the mainstream agriculture is something else. So this is something very unique. We have prepared a package of practices, videos, etc., which are very farmer-friendly. I'll explain later. Then the role of women self-help groups and federations is very critical. And the extension system that we have followed, farmer-to-farmer -farmer extension system, then facilitating organizations, NGOs, community-based organizations, government itself provide that long-term hand-holding support. And we are continuously innovating and learning from the field. And then we have collaborations with very good research institutions within the country, outside the country, which are supporting us. Also, we are learning a lot from them. And then finally, convergence with other government departments in state government. This is knowledge-intensive agriculture. And there is a de-addiction process involved here. So unlearning, relearning, that is why it's been difficult. The Women's Self-Help Group program in Andhra Pradesh, which was seeded 20 years ago, has been the foundation for taking this forward. In Andhra, Andhra Pradesh, we have around 8.7 million women in rural areas who are already organized. And last year, they mobilized around 16,000 crores from banks. They have a federated structure. We call it a force multiplier. So they have a very critical role in the program, program management, learning together, taking collective action, preparing plans, financing the plans, taking care of the most vulnerable people. We also have a farmer-to-farmer -farmer dissemination model. We believe that experiential learning, a motivated, experiential farmer is the best trainer. So we have close to 6,000 such farmer trainers. We'll be increasing their strength this year. So one per 100 farmers. So that's the kind of intensity with which this knowledge dissemination is provided. Then we use ICT. We have collaboration with Digital Green. And this is very important, is that it doesn't happen overnight. There is a farmer's journey. 
and there is a journey of the whole village. So a farmer also year one will not uh, convert the entire land. So we believe somewhere five to eight years is what it takes to transform a whole village. In tribal areas, we are able to see this happening in four to five years. But in other areas where there's been a lot of chemicalization of agriculture, it's taking more time. The cost of transformation, the knowledge dissemination, hand-holding is around 15,000 per farmer for eight years. This is our current estimate. But this is absolutely critical for this transformation to happen. And I also want to say the role of NGOs has been very critical, helping us to work out these strategies. Now, how much does it cost to transform a whole state? I have estimated that in Andhra Pradesh, it will cost us around 10,000 crores to reach all farmers by 2027 and convert the entire farmland by 2031. Many people have told me it's ambitious. Others are telling me it's not ambitious enough. So currently, this is what we feel that we should be doing. What are the benefits of this transformation? On the one hand, you have seen farmers' incomes are increasing, farmers' health is increasing. There's tremendous ecosystem benefits. But here I want to focus on what governments gain. So with this 10,000 crores transformation cost, Government of Andhra Pradesh could potentially save around 18,000 crores in electricity because government subsidizes electricity for pumping. And we have seen minimum of 25% saving in water usage, 25% therefore in uh, electricity subsidies. And then fertilizer subsidies will result in, you know, it will be another 36,000 crores saving. So this is not a expenditure, it's an investment for the government so the government itself could be the biggest beneficiary of this transformation, apart from the huge impacts on farmers' livelihoods and on the climate. There's an alternative pathway for cooling the planet, and that is by the 365 days green cover, because then you're also creating in a much quicker manner, improved livelihoods and also create a cooling impact. Our hope or belief is that we are in a very serious crisis. At the same time, the farmers are gods. Farmers can, by changing their methods, can help themselves and help humanity. We need to propitiate our gods and then see that we help them to help us. Every citizen can play a role in this crisis. Thank you very much. I'll conclude here. Thank you, Mr. Vijay Kumar. That was really eye-opening and thanks for shedding light on this very, very important intervention, agroecological intervention. I have a few questions and I would start off by asking you, just, just for uh, terminological clarity for people listening and watching this, what briefly would be the difference, if at all any, between say natural farming, organic farming and zero budget natural farming? What is common is these are all non-chemical approaches. So we are perfectly fine in Andhra Pradesh. Any non-chemical approach is welcome. But the difference is in organic farming, at least the way people think, you know, you need to use organic inputs. Whereas in natural farming, regenerative agriculture, the belief is that you don't need to add inputs, neither organic inputs nor synthetic inputs. Nature takes care. So that I see as a critical difference. Otherwise, there are a lot of commonalities. Mr. Vijay Kumar, a lot of the critics of natural farming say that it has not been adequately scientifically validated or scrutinized. And therefore, it might be a tad dangerous to give this the shape of government policy 
before conducting rigorous multilocational agroecological uh, tests how yeah. how how would you respond to that it's a very serious issue we know that business as usual is very destructive no matter how many scientific tests have been done and this is something which across the world the un the fao everybody is agreeing that business as usual we have breached planetary boundaries so the farming that we are talking about is basically it's not doing any harm and the satisfaction of farmers is perhaps the most important one and there are innumerable studies done over 20 years 30 years 50 years which show how superior these forms of agriculture are so these are no harm traditional agricultural practices mimicking nature they have been tested for very long period of time somewhere people are not spending that much time in gathering that evidence when you are adopting this as a policy prescription and the ambition is to turn all the arable land in a state isn't the onus on you to provide the evidence we are providing evidence in multiple ways first and foremost is what exactly is it doing to the farmers pockets incomes of the mm-hmm. farmers the health of the farmers that's happening every season and our assessments are the largest in the world independent assessment so as i mentioned now we will start fourth year also what do you mean how independent would that be when as the implementing agency which is the government conducts the no no we are not conducting the we, we conduct our own okay. studies okay. what i have quoted mm-hmm. to you are studies done by independent agencies ids is not mm-hmm. part of rvss so mm-hmm. apart from that we have university of reading which is compare doing comparative trials of chemical agriculture organic input based agriculture and natural farming based farming then mm-hmm. we have report by icraf which has studied the reduction in greenhouse gas emissions and they are putting in place perhaps the largest of its kind which will continuously look at what is happening to soil erosion what's happening to soil organic cover water infiltration so i can assure everyone that the kind of investment that we are making in science to establish its superiority is adequate and we are even if there is somebody who wants us to do more and if it is relevant to us we are prepared to do more in fact we are now being supported by government of germany through a grant of around 200 crores to set up a global agroecology research station research center in andhra pradesh to precisely answer questions of evidence so i would like to assure people that we are open to all kinds of evidence gathering and we ourselves are gathering adequate evidence isn't that a bit like putting the cart before the horse that implementation should follow evidence i am sorry i don't agree with that we should follow farmers the so called evidence will be leading us to an apocalypse so who is responsible for this so while that is undeniable that. the crisis is real and we need another way but is this the way i'll be very happy to know if there is you know what exactly you think is wrong with what we are doing generally saying okay more science i don't agree with that first and foremost farmers are scientists farmers are seeing how it impacts their livelihoods how it is impacting their soil and how it's impacting their health so mm-hmm. we should not disrespect the wisdom of farmers in moving to this and it's voluntary we are not paying farmers to change it's a purely voluntary effort mm-hmm. so i believe that farmers are great scientists they have lot of wisdom and unfortunately the supremacy given to so called scientists who are not farming themselves 
means that we are derecognizing the knowledge of farmers. So if you know 10% of farmers in Andhra Pradesh are already on this pathway, they are happy with the results that they are getting. And I'm not saying we are perfect. There may be more that can happen in the future. And at the same time, we are open to understanding more. In fact, what we are realizing now that the soil microbiology is one of the least understood areas. Not even 1% of the microbial population below ground, which is having such an impact on us, has been characterized. Does the assessment, the agroeconomic assessment of rising incomes and falling input costs that you assessed, does the assessment cover the time and effort cost spent by the farmers to follow these practices and speaking to organic farmers or or people who trade in organic commodities one of their explanations as to why their produce is more expensive they cite the time and effort cost higher time and effort cost that goes into organic farming and they say that organic farming compared to conventional farming is 24 by 7 by 365 days. There is very little possibility of a downtime for the farmer because the farmer has to generate all the fertilizer, all the inputs by himself on the farm. So what do your studies say about this? Does it take into account the time and effort spent by the farmer? Yes, it does take into account the the costs incurred by farmers. And coming to your question, I think that is more because of supply-demand issues. I don't think the organic produce should not be costlier than the conventional produce because the yields are higher, the costs of uh, production are lower, and I think the marketing system is flawed. So I don't know how to fix that. We are working on that, but it should not be. And the third thing about the time and effort, definitely farmers need to spend some time, but over a period of time. So initially, yes, maybe in the transition period, but then they're earning more. I think the question should be put to, not to me, but to the farmers who are benefiting from this. What is stopping other states besides Sikkim and Andhra to take up natural farming? What is the process of post-harvest for the crops grown on natural farming plots? And uh, are they segregated from say conventional plots to fetch a higher price? I think other states are also interested now. I've been having conversations with many states. And I think in the coming year, we'll find many states following this. Government of Rajasthan has adopted it as a policy. Government of Kerala will be working on this. Government of Meghalaya, government of Odisha. So there are about five, six states who will be taking the next steps. In terms of post-harvest process, they are similar. There's no particular difference between natural farming and the conventional agriculture. Now, yes, the segregation to fetch higher price is important and that happens, definitely. How do you prevent, say, pesticide or fertilizer residue from one farm to infiltrating into a natural plot? I agree with you. It's not like a magic wand that one day all farmers will give up chemicals. So Mm. what we do is we tell the farmers to see that their neighboring farmers also change. So ever widening circles. It's an iterative process, Vivek. It doesn't happen overnight. But just because it's not 100% compliant, we should not stop doing this. What has been the reaction of the agrochemical industry, the agrochemical complex? And Andhra Pradesh does have its own share of some of the big companies are based in Andhra. What has been the reaction of some of these companies? And how do you manage the fallout? See, I'm not doing anything. The farmers are not buying them. What can I do? See, the government has not said that, okay, these fertilizers shall not be supplied, this pesticide shall not be supplied, but the consumers are not buying. So that is a strategy being followed, Mm -hmm. that you work on the demand side, work with the people. See, it's easier to ban something, then there is conflict. 
And you'll be surprised. Many of the pesticide distributors at the village level themselves have taken up natural farming. Mm -hmm. Then we tell them that, look, you stop this business because you want to eat good food and then you're selling poison to others. So there is (laughs) that dilemma. But to answer your question, it's a voluntary process. It's not something that we are telling them to adopt by banning. It is voluntary, but then there is a very clear state push in that direction, right? Definitely. You are nudging people towards or in that direction. So obviously, the conventional guys may be really upset that you're doing uh, this. See, Vivek, I think there are multiple forces at work. Because of COVID, a lot of people realize that the food we are eating is important. Should Mm -hmm. be chemical-free. The food we eat should also give us immunity. And there's an instinctive belief, which is also correct, that food produced through natural farming, organic farming, has more nutrients and is therefore good for health. So that conviction is there. So therefore, it's very difficult for somebody to say, no, no, please eat poison food when mm-hmm. there is good food available. I mean, which company would like to go to the market and say that, look, we are producing, they don't say it's poison, but they give some other name. But people know that it's poison. I don't know how anybody will do. They'll have to keep quiet. Even if you are selling pesticides, what food are you consuming at home? What food are you giving to your children? Mm-hmm. So we cannot be so hypocritical, isn't it? Is there any certification process for natural farming, like organic farm products? And how are you helping as the state to help farmers get certifications? Because that would be very important when it comes to, say, exploiting the export markets. This is a very tricky kind of a question because in many ways, certification itself is one of the constraints to more area coming under organic. So Mm -hmm. we have not gone by this approach. It's more like a trust-based value chain focusing on local markets. You know, farmers know which farmer is producing these crops without using any chemical. We have connect between farmers and nearby markets. So again, people know who is producing what. But where there's a longer value chain. So there are farmer producer organizations who are, you know, aggregating supply from their uh, members and then taking it. There we are supporting them for certification. The certification process is same as what is used for organic. But we are thinking there should be a difference because we would like to also convey to consumers the benefit of natural farming on the soil, on water, etc. So in USA, there is a regeneration certification and organic certification. So the two together are actually fetching a higher premium there. Right now in India, there is no separate certification developed, but perhaps there is a need to distinguish between those agriculture practices which are actually helping in climate change. So we need to work on that. Thank you, Mr. Vijay Kumar, for joining us on the Charcha today. And hope this session was extremely useful. It was quite fascinating for me to learn about this grand project. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you very much, Vivek. And thanks to Nudge for organizing this.